please stand to your feet. I, I don't want to make it a Catholic service where you stand up and down, but I just want us to rise to the occasion of um, God's word. I'm just, I'm, I'm here to talk, some stuff I feel God's saying, but my heart's really compelled uh, today. Um, two weeks ago, I said to our team, as we got around at the table, I said, I feel like I need to have a conversation I don't know how to speak about, and um, I love those moments. Have, do you guys ever have those moments where you feel like God's drawing something out of your life? You don't have language for it. Uh, and you might stumble across the way as you, as you find language for it. Um, I feel like our church, in a way, is in that place where God's drawing us into a way of being um, that, that's countercultural to a lot of other churches. And we don't want to just be different to be different. Who has time for that? Um, but I think God's calling us into a depth of belonging to Him and loving each other um, that maybe we'll never find in attending a church. Maybe we'll never find by just saying, I'll see you on Sunday and stare at the back of your head while someone talks from the front. And so Lord, we just, we just think of Jesus and we think of the profound impact he had on this world by pulling people close and saying, let's build the kingdom of God together. I pray that we'd have courage to put you first, to love you, to honor you, and to find our being not around backroom conversations or good ideas or moments of spiritual insight, but I pray that we would literally be your echo on this earth, that we would feel you and know you, God. We'd be led by you. We'd love you, not just with our minds and reason. We would love you with our hearts. We'd love you with every part of what we have, Lord. May that be true of this church in Jesus' name. Amen. Please sit down. Who has a parent or a grandparent um, that you just love to listen to them talk about the good old days? Any of you ever experienced that in life? Um, I'm that to my daughter, Savannah. She actually asked me recently if dinosaurs were alive in the 80s, uh, to which I thoroughly rebuked her and sent her to her room. Um, no, I'm joking. Um, but my grandfather, um, his name was Marflet Boyce Daniel. So everyone just called him Jack. Jack Daniel, literally, that's what they called him. And... Um, he was an incredible man, so I hear. He passed away and went to be with the Lord when I was in my mother's womb and I never got to meet him. But interestingly enough, I constantly get told how similar I am to him. He's the only one in my lineage that could sing. I'm not saying I can sing, but I can sing better than my brothers, uh, that's for sure. Um, also, he was a carpenter and loved to build construction and he loved the Lord. And him and my dad had a really interesting walk there most of their lives, they were at odds with each other, and then Jesus invited both of them into an adventure, and they became the very best of friends. Um, my dad was holding his dad's hand as his dad went to go be with the Lord, and they ended up becoming the closest of friends. That's what Jesus does. He brings restoration and reconciliation, and he, and he, and he moves us, right? And he does incredible stuff in us that we may not even think by the experience of our lives we'll ever find an opportunity to see. And he did that with my dad and my granddad. But one of my favorite stories that my dad would tell me about my granddad is how my granddad, who was a very fiscally responsible blue-collar carpenter worker guy, saved up forever and finally bought a car. 
Okay, it was back in the day where it was like weird to have a car. And um, they were living in a city called Durban in South Africa. And it's a very hilly city. It's like San Francisco or Seattle. And um, basically, my granddad was really proud of this car. My dad and his brother, my uncle Keith, were not proud of this car. Uh, the reality was they would cringe when they were seen in it. The main reason being that the low gears were dodgy on the car. And every time they approached the hill, which was pretty much always, my grandpa would put his hand out the window, do a three-point turn, and have to reverse up the hill to be able to get there. So if you can imagine my grandfather proud as punch with his arm behind the seat, my grandmother ducking as to not be seen by any of her friends, he'd have to reverse uphill, get to the top, do a three-point turn again, and then drive down, <laughs> okay? And you might go, J.D., why on earth would you share this story? I think that story is a really honest metaphor for a local church. It's actually a really honest metaphor for our lives. I've said this before, we live in selfie culture where we take 100 pictures of ourselves, pick the best one, and then lie about it with like filters that put tans on us and all that sort of stuff. We always want to put the best version of ourselves forward, even if it's not honest. And I think there's a lot of disappointment in local church and in doing faith together. And I'm guilty of this, of like trying to put forward this altruistic picture of what we're going to be. We're going to be the ones that bring revival to Vancouver. We're going to be the church that Jesus, you know, all these big promises. And whilst it's my heart's cry for us to bring renewal and to join with God in renewing Vancouver and to do extraordinary stuff, I think Jesus has never been ashamed of taking fishes and loaves and multiplying them, being honest about what we have and where we're at and doing something greater than we could do with ourselves by simply offering him an honest offering. And so as I look over the last four years of this church and as we step into a series which should be on the screen behind me says, this is us, as we step into that series, there's something profound about saying this is us if we're gonna be honest about it. Because this is us in a cool place with beautiful music, with fractured friendships, doing our best to honor the Lord, with a mixed legacy so far, moved three times in four years, we're finding our feet. And I think we need to be honest about that and say, God, if we're really gonna grow together, let's offer an honest version of who we are and where we're at so that Jesus could do something more extraordinary with our honesty than he would if we pretended and oversold ourselves to be the greatest thing that ever happened. In Western faith, a lot of the places that we deemed are the greatest places are the biggest places and the shiniest places. They're the places that don't demand a lot from us and have very heavily gifted people doing things for us. But my dream for a local church it's not that we have a, a few minor celebrities and some skillful singers keeping us busy and occupied for an hour on a Sunday so that we can escape the real world and come and have a moment uh, where it feels like a bit of heaven on earth. No, I believe our responsibility as a local church is to say, I take ownership for my life. I am stewarding breath and opportunity and disappointment and hope and failure, and I want to offer it all up to God and say, this is me. It's just me, it's where I'm at. One of the things that just becomes crippling sometimes is we look at where we've been in life and we go, I can't be any more than that, but we serve the one who pulls us out of our ordinary existence 
keeps all of the gifts that were always there, even though they weren't functioning, and he says, I'm gonna multiply you through transformation. Not through information, not through assimilation or belonging or attending, but through something far more powerful than that. All those things follow. They all follow. They all start to exist and come into place when we say, I'm not going to be a part of something where I'm waiting for someone else to do something for me. There is no high priest that you need to answer to but Jesus. There is no church structure that can save you and enthrall you. There is no rhythm around spiritual community that will entice you if Jesus is not your preoccupation and passion. And so this is us, a group of imperfect people, different shapes, sizes, and colors, for some reason brought to Vancouver at the turn of a new decade to build something with God, not for God, to let God build something with us, not for us, so that we can be a part of joining God in the renewal of all things. With that in mind, I want to go to my very favorite scripture in the whole of scripture. I think we're allowed to have a favorite scripture, and mine's Psalm 84. My prophet friend, Greg Burson, um, wrote in the, begin- in the front of my Bible, uh, Psalm 84, JD, sing your song, tell your story. Your life is the echo of an ancient manuscript. And I want to say to you, Crown and Anchor, our lives are the echo of this ancient manuscript. Psalm 84 verse 5 said, blessed favored are those whose strength is in you, God. Not whose strength is in participation or structure, whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set, their desire and their longing is pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Bacav, the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs, not it makes them people of mourning and sadness forever. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. Eugene Peterson in the message writes verse five this way, blessed are all those in whom you live, whose lives become the roads that God travels on. So whether you look at it like, blessed are those who are in you, God doesn't live with the disorders that we do. He doesn't get caught up in the dualistic thinking that we do. He lives in us if we live in him. There's no separation. There's no condemnation. There's no uh, divide between us and the Lord. So he looks at us and we look at him and we're in this pilgrimage together Because he's not God up there and we're people down here. He's God who reigns over all, but God who resides on the inside. And so our lives are called to be in him. We're blessed when our strength is in him. And we find an unusual blessing when our hearts out of that residing become fixated with pilgrimage. And to be sure, this text is written about an annual pilgrimage. The the literal uh, meaning is around the people of God annually coming back to worship God at the temple uh, in rhythm, making the rhythm of their lives uh, wrap around uh, the one that they love the most. The echo for us in 2020 is that's never changed. 
We're called in this day and age of exile and the world telling us conform to be transformed by a God that we remember. When we come together on a Sunday morning, uh, you know, we live in a day and age of deconstruction. So people are like tossing away church and going, we hate it because we had some hurt. Man, if church hurt was the reason to leave hurt, you would leave every part of life because there's hurt every single place. But we've decided to overlook the disappointments and the seasons, the dry patches, and say, God, me coming to be with believers is the overflow of the pilgrimage that you've set inside of me to come and bring my gifts, to come and bring my worship, to serve, and to be a part of what unity and diversity looks like in the renewing of all things. And together we take places of tears We take the sadness of the city that we live in, the brokenness, the mixed potential of new life springing up everywhere through downtown Vancouver right now, and the genuine pain that you don't have to look too hard to find in people's eyes. And we get to make this place a place of joy by the relationship that God's put inside of us that doesn't cause us to hide out in our rooms at home but sets us on pilgrimage to walk in rhythm together and make Jesus together our very great reward and our great passion. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 uh, is the first of two invitations I wanna read you this morning, an invitation from Jesus himself. And um, I really want you to think about the, the fact that I'm gonna share two uh, invitations from Jesus to us, and I'm gonna share three pictures and then we're going home. You got grace for that? Is anybody in the house today? I'm going to get back to my Aussie Pentecostal roots here if you're not careful, guys. Anyone here? (laughs) All right. Come on. Abe just said hallelujah. That was... No. Oh, Dustin, of course. I love it, bro. Be nice if Abe said hallelujah every once in a while, but, you know. Um, We're going to build Crown and Anchor's rhythm and pilgrimage together around these two invitations from Jesus. Well, you might go, well, who are you to tell me what I'm going to build? Um, I'm just telling you this is what we're going for, and I'd love for you to join me in saying, God, this is a good way for us to build a local church and be a part of the renewal of things. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says this, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. This morning when we we're singing, could you feel the rest and the peace in worship? It was so nice to come to church and not uh, be hyped up. I mean, sometimes there's that natural exuberance that just pops out of us and people start screaming and dancing and I go, yes! But there's other times where you just look around the room during worship and people are just breathing in the goodness of God. And I think it suits where we're going today. So come to me all who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Everyone say, learn from me. Right, he wants to invite us to learn a new way. For I am gentle and humble in heart, says Jesus, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Isaiah echoes it in verse 55 and he says, all who are thirsty, those that just have a need that needs to be met, a pain that needs to be healed, a drivenness that needs to be exorcised. Come to me and find the good news of a savior who wants to use us and build with us, but he doesn't want to burn through us and toss us away. If we're not careful, 
what we call success in Western church culture so often burns people out. I'm guilty of buying into uh, the myth of busyness equals success. What point is there to being busy for God if you're not busy with God? Even the language of the yoke presupposes that Jesus is in this with us. See, a yoke is a, 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 a tying together, a, a, a harnessing of two animals walking together in that culture. So when Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest, he doesn't say, and you will be in Hawaii on the beach uh, seven days a week like the televangelists promise you you would have when you give $1,000 to their ministry. No, uh, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. And as you rest, I will show you what it feels like to carry the weight of my calling, but I'm gonna do the heavy lifting with you. What a powerful picture. Jesus never ever brings us into relationship to just leave us lazy or to, to, to address our wounds and say it's okay to sit there forever and lament about what has been. No, he brings us into rest. That rest heals us, but that rest always prepares us for a journey that he will supernaturally, naturally bring us into as we walk with community together. Isn't that cool? Nerdy pastor thinks it's really cool. Hold that over there if you can and journey with me to Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, a different kind of an invitation. Walking along the beach of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, later called Peter, and Andrew, and they were fishing, throwing their nets into the lake. It was their regular work. And Jesus said to them, come with me and I will make a new kind of fisherman out of you. Come to me, come with me. Come to me, wherever you're at. Lady says, come with me and I'll make a new kind of fisherman out of you. I'll show you how to catch men and women instead of perch and bass. They didn't ask questions, they simply dropped their nets and they followed. One of the pictures I have to say that I love out of this scripture is that Jesus took them with their natural talents and their gifts and he used language around how they could still be the same in terms of what they, they have as a rhythm of life. But he was going to take it from a fleshly, busy kind of an aspiration to make finance. And he would take those very things that they were good at and he would multiply them in, in their lives. See, one of the things I think we've done in the West sometimes is we've gone, hey, um, if you're going to be really successful in spiritual community, uh, you're going to get up on a stage or a pulpit. You're going to strum a guitar. You're going to sing. And we've devalued the idea that God wants your everyday lives. We've kept people busy with endless meetings at church to try strategize and keep them like busy in programs and so on and so forth, but it's really numbing us down. It makes us feel safe, but it numbs and dumbs us down. And some of the best fishermen are trying to be plumbers for God, and some of the best plumbers are trying to be pastors and so on and so forth. I don't let people call me pastor for good reason. I'm not one. I teach, and I love people, but we've made a beautiful sacred word, which in Latin means a shepherd. And we've put it on people who stand up and talk to people from the front. Kathy's more of a pastor than me. Wow, that went down well. Um, I'm just saying by raw gifting. She knows everyone's name after one week. I've seen some of you for four years and you know that I don't know your name because I call you bro. 
and I'll try my hardest to learn it. Kathy will try to teach me your name. She will show me your Facebook profile. I'll be like, I've got it. And I'll walk up and I'll be like, I'm choking, I'm choking. Hey, bro, what's up? (laughs) Jesus takes the things that he's gifted us with and he says, don't only rest with me, run with me. Don't pour it all into one place on a Sunday through the thinnest expression that is possible. Pour it out seven days a week in your everyday life and find our commonness in the celebration of our stories, not in the aspiration of trying to be something that you're not. So with that in mind, um, I wanna talk about three things that I think God wants Crown and Anchor to be going forward. And when I say Crown and Anchor, I don't mean the Kiggins on a Sunday. I mean in your everyday lives. Before I get there, I wanna repeat something that I said a long time ago because I want you to know what we're going for. I don't believe that God's called Crown and Anchor to do middle church. I think he's called us to do what the early church did. They went to the temple and they worshiped. This is the the big, the overflow, the remembering, the rhythm. We come and we sing and we give and we share stories and songs and we get taught and we, we pray for each other and all that sort of stuff. But it says they met in temple courts and then it says they met in homes and they broke bread. One of the things that we are pouring literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours into is developing strong small groups. We used to do common interest groups, and that's fine. If you want to go hiking with friends, go hiking with friends. But one of the things we want to do going forward is develop anchor groups like Jesus had them around tables and conversation, around prayer and the word, around spurring each other on uh, in small environments where you can actually manage uh, to talk to each other. And that's not to say that they won't be themed, but we wanna do the small thing well. We wanna get together and genuinely build relationships. And that can only honestly happen in environments where you can build relationships. And we wanna do Sundays and weekends well, and we wanna do mission well, and we'll talk more more about that going forward. But I, I feel like today, Uh, God is simply asking you to answer one question. At the very least, I'm asking you to answer one question. Is it a season for you to run? Or is it a season for you to rest? And both are valuable to Jesus because he gives both of those portions. He says, come to me and I'll give you rest. And if our local church doesn't reflect that, then there's something out of Kelta with us. Sir, madam, if you are here to spend the next three years healing up, thank you for doing it with us. When this church was birthed, it was birthed primarily as, number one, a hospital. It was birthed as a hospital. It was birthed um, out of some pain. And I don't think that that calling, which was in our roots, is ever going to leave our church. When Crown and Anchor started, it started in our basement on 27th Street. A whole bunch of really angry, hurting people had just been in a crazy conniption in a local church, and they were looking for some healing. And two things were obvious. People were angry, and people wanted to do something for God. But their anger wasn't primarily anger. It was pain manifesting itself in seeming injustice, and it was a messy meeting. And in the moment that that messy meeting started the journey called Crown and Anchor, something was birthed in us that I think we need to carry for the rest of our walk together. And that is that we make a commitment to value grace. 
I know I'm a one-trick pony that talks about grace constantly. I have been the recipient of it. And it is good. And without it, I would be lost. If my performance was the measure of God's goodness to me, oh boy. And so can we commit as a local church to putting up with whatever it means to put up with if we're gonna be a people that pursue being a place of healing? Again, can I just... Uh, qualify this for anyone out there. I'm not saying we've been brilliant at this all the time. And over the past uh, four years, uh, we've hit our heads on the wall multiple times, not learning the lessons that God wanted us to learn. And I take personal responsibility for so much of that. But looking forward, I burn for the idea that this would be a place where people come for rest and for healing. Two types of people will emerge when you go for grace. Those that are really, really messy and need it, and those that are really, really judgy and self-righteous. How do I know? The Gospels promise it. Jesus' life as Mr. Grace attracted two crowds constantly. Those that really needed him to go, sin no more, be free, let's go. And those that were like, you're sitting at that table, you know. And if we're going to be a church that goes for it, we're going to have criticism, and we're going to have to love people where they're at, believing that it's Jesus' job to take them on a journey of transformation, not our job to hold them at bay while they find their feet. Could we build that together, whatever it looks like? Or is there some prejudice or preference that will block us from going on the journey of together becoming the healing of Vancouver? I don't only believe that God's called us to be one thing. I think he's called us to be multiple things in sequence constantly. We want to be a carrying church, which is a hospital. We want to be a growing church, which is a school. Another picture, a metaphor. Could Crown and Anchor be a school, a place of learning along the way? Uh, this week, I sat with people at coffee tables who have very little or very gray hair. And I sat with people who have lots of hair and are very young. And I learned different things from both of them. I don't say it enough, but you have no idea how much I learn from you. From sitting and having a coffee or watching your response in a moment to some challenge or trial or hearing your cry for God to do something in your life, there is always something to learn from the people around us. Community teaches us, it knocks our edges off. But if we lead out with offendability, Community will cause us to push ourselves into isolation. Isn't it interesting when people get hurt, they run to the hills instead of running to each other? Is offendability at the front of our commitment to each other? Or have we resolved to the fact that walking together will teach us things that we won't find alone? Last night I had a beautiful conversation with one of my friends around his hatred for religion and how um, it's easy to become ungracious towards people who are religious because of their ungraciousness. See, all of us, as well-intentioned as we are, have blind spots that community and walking together and walking with Jesus will transform and change in us. Uh, Paul uses the language of spurring each other it doesn't sound comfortable. 
to have the spiky part of the back of your boot like kicking me in the stomach while God's trying to teach me something. But I got to tell you, after two decades of doing this, I've found that over and over and over. God has taught me more through pain than through success. And so could we be um, always willing to learn, always willing to grow? Uh, Could we dig into God's word together? Could we commit ourselves to not be um, the classic cliche evangelical who has five or six verses that we use out of context to prove our point? Could we go deeper than that? When we become true students of the word and and we start to say, God, what is the text really saying? Not at a surface level. But as we dig into original language and context and the, the author's heart himself, we start to see things emerge in Scripture that put us on the other side of the fence sometimes. And I'm not trying to be contentious or um, make people nervous, or, or maybe I'm trying to make you a little nervous. Because I fear that sometimes we just get stuck in what we knew and we never grow up. We, we, we play our whole lives on the outer courts of some spiritual experience we had in a church meeting. And we rest there forever. And we get to the end and we go, God, it was so boring. And he goes, it didn't have to be. Bring your skill, your heart, your way, and I will make you a. There's people in this room where God has gifted you to create wealth. Create it and be a blessing. There's people in this room where God's created you to preach. Preach and be a blessing. There's people in this room, God's just given you the ability to sit with people for hours and not be drained. My gosh, use it, please, because there's some draining people. (laughs) I heard a preacher this week on a podcast say, um, all of us are energy in relationship, which is true. We're spirits with bodies. Oh, that sounds new age. What are you talking about? That's the eternal part of us. Everything else is, you know, fading away and getting crusty and wobbly. But the, the internal uh, spirit in us is, is, what, what, is what we feel. You ever walk past people and you go, ooh, I don't feel safe. Yeah, your spirit's telling you something. God's spirit is speaking to you. Divinity and humanity giving you a warning. And he said this, he goes, um, have you ever walked from a, away from a conversation and you go, that took three years off of my life? Maybe it did. Oh man, that person was so draining. Maybe they did. Maybe they drained something. But I find these wondrous people in our congregation who could just sit with the most prickly pears for hours and go, oh, that was great. (laughs) Use that gift. Use that patience. Use that uh, emerging sense of uh, spiritual gifting inside of you to do God's good work. Because we need you. Vancouver needs someone to listen. So whatever your gift is, I pray that you would grow in it and being together uh, would be a part um, of you uh, seeing new things emerge in your life that you never have without each other. And thirdly, uh, all at the same time, for different people, different seasons, we're a hospital, we're a school, and we're an airport. Um, Here's where I think I might be a little bit different. Uh, You're like, dude, you're very different and weird. But uh, I might be a little bit different to some other people. I'm not trying to keep you here. I'm not trying to keep you so busy with stuff that you feel like you can't leave out of obligation. My mentor, Chris Veenant, who preaches at Bridgetown often and um, comes and meets with us whenever he's in town, 
um, he's, he's from Southern California and um, just taught me a lot of things over the years. Uh, he came to our staff table on his first trip uh, to Crown and Anchor and he offended me. So I left the church. No, I'm joking. Uh, he offended me. And he said this, um, everyone's going to leave. The church is an airport. Departures and arrivals. Everyone's going to leave. He said they're either going to leave in a box. They're going to leave sent and commissioned. Or they're going to leave offended or bored. But everyone's going to leave. And, you know, something fell into a deep place in my heart when he said that, and I went, oh my gosh, it's totally true. The pursuit of trying to hang on to people is not noble, and it's exhausting, and it'll leave you really insecure, like Saul trying to keep David at his house when David was called to go conquer, right? And I believe in this room, there are those that will leave in a box one day, the lifers, And we need you. Maybe that's the call of God in your life is you just stick through when everyone arrives and when everyone goes. Church crisis, church blessing, revival, everything in between, we're solid. There's a couple of folks like that where I truly believe, I mean, I'd never say that to them because it'd be too much pressure, but I go, I couldn't get rid of you if I tried. (laughs) And then there's some people where you go, I couldn't keep you if I tried. Because their conviction around church is about them finding something that meets their needs and suits them. Guys, I'm just being honest. We call church services these days. It implies that we, you know, get your windscreen sorted out and get you some gas and send you on your way. But there's something so much richer on the journey of Jesus where we go, I'm going to belong and bear with her. The early church fathers believed that the second that Christ became uh, our pearl of great price, we belonged to the whole body of Christ globally instantly. And Scripture supports that more than individualistic pursuit. And then there's the glory of sending people on their way. There is nothing sweeter than someone walking up to me and going, JD, this has been an amazing season and God's taking us there. And I go, oh, that's awesome. Thanks for letting me know. Can I pray for you? We've done it a few times. My dream is one day the majority of people that walk from this church, we put hands on them and say, God bless you. We are so excited for the adventure ahead. That's health. Are we there yet? No, we're still reversing up a hill backwards or driving up a hill in reverse, sorry. But we're allowed to dream. Say, this is us. <laughs> this is where we are. <laughs> but this could be us. And so those three pictures, I wonder where you fit. Maybe you're a crossover of some of those pictures. Maybe God's healing you up right now. You just need to sit there and chill. Or maybe as God's healing you, he's teaching you, and you go, I want to learn a little bit more. I want to build a little bit more relationship. What do we do beyond the chocolate here? We get a bag with chocolate and then we go on our way and we see you next Sunday. What else is going on? Well, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk really intentionally around what we think God's saying to us in specifics, how we're going to do it, and what we're asking you to bring to the table. And so I'm going to encourage you to not just come today and skip the next couple of weeks, see the whole thing as a trilogy that's more impressive than any Star Wars offering. No, that is not true. (laughs) 
God has called us to run. He's called us to rest. But he's never caused us to settle. Why? Because our hearts are set on pilgrimage. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. We rest in him whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. Keep moving us on, Lord. Before I close, I want to say that a polarizing statement was made a couple of weeks ago, but I think it's a good one for us to face. And that is this. Please don't confuse your spiritual house with your house house. See, every day when I go home and I hit the pin code on my door and I lock my door and I hang out with my girls, I feel safe and it doesn't move and it's this constant in my life, brick and mortar, it stays in the same place. I've never arrived at my house and my house moved house. I walk in, it's there and it makes me feel safe. Our spiritual community is not there to primarily make you feel safe. I'm not talking about physically. I'm talking about the stretching and the challenge of being Jesus people. I think there'd be a lot more people at Crown and Anchor if we hadn't moved three times in four years. And I'm not setting you up for another move. We've found a place, we love it, we're sticking here. But I'm inviting you to grow with me. Recently, um, I looked over at Kath and I just said, "I, I just feel stuck. I feel like I'm leaning on my gifts and my talents and my knowledge instead of saying, Jesus, keep taking me on an adventure of growth and multiplication. And I just wonder maybe that's where you're at. God wants to heal you up. But while he's healing you up, he's teaching you. And while he's healing you and teaching you, he ultimately wants to use you and send you on your way to be a missionary to Vancouver, Washington or a missionary to Uganda or wherever it's gonna be. We all carry our own shape, call, and size. Maybe through conversations at dining room tables, in anchor groups, you might find something that God has been trying to say to you, and it emerges through prayer, laying on of hands, dreaming together, breaking bread. I don't know, but I want to do the slow walk with you.